So last week, we tackled the first half of our mission statement. You can see the mission statement right there on your bulletin on the front toward the top. It's this. Trinity exists. We exist to glorify God by making and mobilizing faithful disciples of Jesus. Last week, we focused on that first part, making disciples of Jesus. And that statement finds its source in a text thousands of years old. So we're not creating anything new here. If you want to read that together, that's in Matthew chapter 28, all the way at the end of Matthew chapter 28, and we'll start in verse 18. I didn't write the page down again for the Pew Bible. Anybody got that for me? Pew Bible, Matthew 28, 835. If you're borrowing one of those Bibles, page 835. And I should say this too, if you're kind of new to Christianity or, or new to the church or whatever, and you don't have a copy of the Bible, we would love to change that today. There is a stack of them on that back table. That is our gift to you. If you want to grab one of those on the way out today, take one of those. We'd love for you to have that. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. Jesus gets to the end of his life. He's about to drop the mic and he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have you ever thought about what happened after the Great Commission, after Matthew 28. Like, if there was a Matthew 29, what would be in Matthew 29? Trinity, just so you know, wants to be a Matthew 29 church. Now, I get it, there's no Matthew 29. But if there was, if there were a Matthew 29, you would see that church planting is what fills up those pages. I know this because I've read the book of Acts, which is basically Matthew 29. Uh, But the Great Commission fueled and formed the early church. And it's going to fuel and form Trinity, hopefully for us, for our kids and their kids and their kids. Last week, we talked about how to bridge the gap between the world's lived experience and the wholeness that God offers in Jesus. Part of our job on earth is to help bridge that gap. Instead of waiting for heaven until we get there, while we're still on earth, we want to bring heaven to earth. That's what Jesus prayed for. Your kingdom come. That's what we're to pray for and have an active part in. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't overly romanticize what this might look like. Often this just happens in the ordinary moments of our life. Here's what Tim Chester says. He says, this is where most people are, living in the ordinary. That's where we need to go to reach them. We too easily, too easily think of mission as extraordinary. Maybe that's because we find it awkward to talk about Jesus outside a church gathering. Perhaps it's because we think God moves through the spectacular rather than through the witness of people like us. Perhaps it's because we want to outsource mission to the professionals and have an expert do the mission for us. But most people live in the ordinary, and most people will be reached by ordinary people. So ordinary people, let's go to a world full of ordinary people and tell them about our extraordinary God and shrink the gap between their lived experience and the wholeness that God offers in Jesus. Well, that was last week's focus. We kind of honed in on Matthew 28, verse 19. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing baptizing them. So here's the takeaway questions uh, from that first part of the mission statement. First, are you a disciple? Second, 
Have you been baptized? Third, are you making disciples? Those are the three takeaway questions. Three distinct commands from Jesus there, and I wonder how you're doing with those things. That was last week. This week, we're going to focus on verse 20 of Matthew 28. Here's what it says. Teach them, teach these disciples to observe all that I have commanded you. So Trinity exists. Trinity exists for God's glory. Trinity exists to make faithful disciples of Jesus. And then finally today, Trinity exists to mobilize faithful disciples of Jesus. I want us to notice here in Matthew 28 that Jesus never says, now, go make converts. He doesn't say that. He says, make disciples. Or we might say followers. Go make followers of Jesus. If our mission is simply to get people to invite Jesus into their hearts or to accept him as Savior, then we are not teaching them what it really means, the full scope of what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. This means for us that more than anything, the health of Trinity is primarily measured not by the bigness of the crowd in the seats, but by the bigness of Jesus in our hearts. That's how we measure the health of a church. If we want a strong church, a church that can weather the storms of brokenness like death, disease, heartache, and the storms of our increasingly post-Christian culture, antagonism towards our faith, ostracism for our faith, if we want a church that can stand even while those abusive winds are blowing against us, we're going to have to take our discipleship seriously. We must teach one another. We must mobilize one another to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So let's unpack this for a few minutes this morning. What do we actually mean by mobilizing? What do we mean by mobilize? We basically mean discipleship. Each of us Christians has been tasked with mobilizing other Christians to follow Jesus faithfully. One author described discipleship like this. He said, Discipleship is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. That's it. Deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. That's what Jesus means when he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So when you really strip it down, discipleship is this, helping others follow Jesus. Helping those around you follow Jesus. Putting tools into each other's hands to follow Jesus mobilizing each other to follow Jesus. Well, whose job is this? Who, who is tasked with this mobilization? It's the pastor's job, right? He tells us how to follow Jesus faithfully. Well, yes and no. Each of us has an integral role. It was Paul who reminded the Ephesian church that God has given the church pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So if your job review were today, how would it go? How are you doing with your job to mobilize one another for faithful following, faithfully following Jesus? In God's providence, this is like, a, it's a simple numbers game. Look how many there are of us here, and then look how many pastors there are. Five pastors, 200 or so people. The math doesn't work out too well. So exponentially more ministry gets done when the congregation, not just the pastor, but the congregation, assumes their proper role of equipalizing. I knew I was going to do that this morning. Equipping and mobilizing. Equipalizing. Mark it down. 
Way more ministry gets done when each of us assumes our proper role in equipping and mobilizing one another to follow Jesus. This is going to require all of us helping all of us. Miriam and I have tackled umpteen home projects uh, during our marriage. And no lie, probably a thousand times we've told each other, ah, that's why those people spent the extra money for that tool, for this particular need in this moment right now. We've made do without tools and with some really subpar tools for a long time. Too many times we've made do without them. Too many times, that is, until I met my good friend, Tim Ernest. That dude's got all the tools. And he's got a gigantic truck full of tools. I hope I don't get in trouble for outing you in that, Tim. Don't call Tim, call me. He's got the hammers and the screwdrivers down to the most obscure thing you think you would never need until you need it and are stuck without it. And here's the best part about Tim. He doesn't only have the tools, he knows how to use them all. Now, before I met Tim the Toolman Ernest, our progress, our progress and ability was super limited. But it's astounding what you can do with the right tool at the right time, with the right people in the right place. Each of us, Trinity, think of yourself right now. Each of us are tools in the Spirit's hands, tailor-made by God to do our mobilizing job at the right time with the right people in the right place. Some of you think that you're the thing that no one ever needs, that your proper place is to be shoved into the back of the toolkit, but that's a lie. It's a lie. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, think of yourself, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So just like Tim wielded a variety of tools to help us complete the project, the Spirit expertly wields his tools, us, to finish up the discipleship project in each of us. What does this mean for you? This means that you are insufficient to follow Jesus on your own. And it also means that everyone else around you is insufficient to follow Jesus on their own. Maybe you don't think of yourself as very valuable or influential. But 1 Corinthians 12 says that you are. You were made in God's image tailor-made by Jesus to be just the thing that someone needs at exactly the right time. I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe you don't either. Together we could explore that. We can figure this out. But if, if you've thought of your particular brand of Christianity as being one of those rugged, individualistic loner types, I'd suggest that you think again. It's just not the Jesus way. Each of us and I, mean, and I mean each of us ought to be being discipled and discipling one another, being mobilized and mobilizing one another for obedience, for greater faithfulness. This means that God has you at Trinity not just to have your spiritual needs met. You're a part of this body not just to have your spiritual needs met, but to be a spiritual need meter. 
Some of us need to start flipping through our mental Rolodex of friends and acquaintances here. And maybe don't go to the most well-worn pages on that Rolodex. Kids, you can ask your parents later what a Rolodex is. Only us old people know what that is. But go to the margins on your mental Rolodex. And who shows up there? Who's hardly touched by you or by anyone? Find that person and mobilize them to follow Jesus more faithfully. Are these the kinds of relationships that you're involved in now? I remember as a kid, specifically in eighth grade, my friends would always make fun of me and tell me that I smelled like bacon. There are are more cruel condescensions out there. I recognize that. But I could never figure out why everybody thought I smelled like bacon. Until one day it dawned on me. We lived in a house that had uh, a wood stove, and my clothes absorbed that smoky scent, which I guess reminded my fellow eighth graders of bacon. I've smelled a lot of eighth graders, and a lot of them have smelled a lot worse than bacon, so I guess I could have done, could have done worse. I'm glad that's as bad as the teasing got. But after this realization dawned on me, I never didn't smell it again. When I came into the house during those winter months, the smells had permeated everything, including my clothes and the hair that I used to have. Trinity, we want our church to be, to be permeated by, by the scent of discipleship. We want it to smell like discipleship. If we're all at it, if we're all busy at this, it's going to permeate everything that we do. You won't be able to exit a gathering with these people, whether it's Sunday or over a meal or a community group or whatever. You won't be able to exit a gathering with these people without some of it permeating you and you permeating them. What does this look like? What it, like that's theoretical, but practically, what does this look like? What is the stuff of mobilizing? A culture of discipleship that permeates all of us, that leaves us all smelling like discipleship. Looks like people praying impromptu together in a gathering like this. It shouldn't be odd to see a little packet of people here or there in the pews or something just praying together, caring for one another. It looks like moving past the easy niceties we often content ourselves with. It looks like preparing each other for glory by helping each other last until glory. Hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. Let's pray together. Because in the end, that is legit all that matters, right? legitimately the only thing that matters for each of us in here is if we, if we make it to the end with faith in Jesus and we need each other to help limp all the way until the end. Imagine for a moment that a non-Christian friend of yours from another city becomes a believer. What kind of reception, what kind of care and discipleship would you want for them in their new church? What would you want the aroma of that church culture to be? Would you want them to have to wait until a pastor could get to them? Or would you want the membership to gather around them, to support them, to care for them, and to take them to Jesus over and over and over again? We want to be the kind of church that you would want for your newly converted friend in that other city. What is it that should be permeating us? How should we smell discipleship speaking? It's not complicated, really. It's just doing intentional spiritual good while you're doing life with other Christians. Doing intentional spiritual good 
while you're doing life with other Christians as we all journey on toward Jesus. I'm not great at this. I do not set myself up as an example here. I often shy away from this kind of intentional conversation. It's way more comfortable sometimes, isn't it, to talk about the house project or the weather or the eagles. Some of you have experienced a shortfall in me, and I am sorry for that. Some of us in here might be tempted to think, well, I'm, I'm basically here every Sunday, and I'm at community group. That's pretty good, right? Yes, but it's not enough. So when we talk mobilization, we don't only mean Sunday gatherings or even community groups and Sunday gatherings. What we've done here today, this is the easy part of community and mobilizing and discipleship. It's clean with a hard start time and hopefully a hard stop time. But when we're talking discipleship, it's not nearly as clean as that. There's less precision and way more gray area. I'm afraid some of us content ourselves with social gatherings where the Bible is talked about. That's a quote from my wife. She didn't even know I was going to quote her, but she said that this week, and I was like, yo, that's really good. We content ourselves with social gatherings where the Bible is just talked about, and we think we're living in community, or where other church members are simply present. But being in the same room with another Christian doesn't mean that you're mobilizing or being mobilized to follow Jesus more faithfully. It just means you're breathing the same oxygen. That's not community. That's not discipleship. That's not mobilization. This means for us that Sundays are essential. Man, you, if you can at all make it, you better be showing up for Sundays. It's a command of Jesus and it's good for our souls. We need to be fed by the word of God. Sundays are essential, but they are not sufficient. And I want us to hear this clearly. Just because we have community groups, just because you're in one, just because you host one, just because you lead one, none of these things guarantee that you're actually mobilizing or being mobilized to follow Jesus faithfully. C groups must not be a crutch for us to assume that the hard, messy, relational work of discipleship is actually happening. Because remember, discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will become more like Jesus. You could conceivably go through an entire lifetime of community group gatherings and never fulfill this calling. Now, don't hear me wrong. We, we believe in community groups. We think they're important. But if we're not mobilizing one another to live out the implications of the gospel, we may actually just be fooling ourselves about how serious our discipleship to Jesus is. So what does this mean? How can we know if we're living the mobilizing, mobilized life? It means you're going to have to be involved in people's lives. You're going to have to have some intrusive relationships. It means you're going to have to do life together with others. Go to games together. Go to movies together. Go to concerts. Go to plays. Hike. But all along the way, it means that you're going to have to allow others to involve themselves in your life too. Not only do you have to be involved in others, you have to be sort of open enough for others to be involved in yours. It means that you're going to have to humbly receive from another, from another man or woman them lovingly digging into your own life. Not just a willingness to receive, but kind of like a, a transparency too. This is the real me, not the me I just put up in front of people on social media or at gatherings like this. People need to know you. If your marriage is in trouble these people need to know. Somebody needs to know so that they can help you. If you're in trouble, man, reach out and ask. Don't, 
Don't be bashful. That's what we're here for. If you're struggling with an addiction to opioids or to pornography, someone needs to know. They might be that obscure tool in the back of the tool case that is going to be just the thing to help you follow Jesus more faithfully. Don't allow the shame of your sin to keep you from reaching out and getting help with and pursuing freedom from your sin. We all need one another for that. Trinity is a safe place. We say this a lot. It's a safe place to not be okay. There's lots of safety and time to grow. Everyone is here Everyone that's here is broken and we know it. There's no need to hide. It's okay to not be okay. God's going to meet us through the lives of each other and complete the work that he started in us. But we can really overcomplicate this. Here's what Francis Schaeffer says. He's helpful. He says, don't start with a big program. Don't suddenly think you can add to your church budget and begin. Start personally. Start in your home. I dare you, Francis says this, I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ. Do what I'm going to suggest. Begin by opening your home for community. You don't need a big program. You don't have to convince your pastors. All you have to do is open your home and your hearts and begin. So Trinity, if we want to set Abington ablaze with the knowledge of the glory of God, we need to be together in stoking the fires of the love of God in each other's hearts. Together. You know when you're in the dead of summer or maybe it's, maybe it's in the fall and you have a, a fire pit in the backyard and the flames are beginning to die down, but you don't want them to die down. You want to heat the fire back up. You want the flames to rise. Well, what do you do? Do you spread the coals out and then start over? No, you, you push the coals together. Coals burn brighter and hotter when they are together. And it's the same with us. Our missional fire will burn brighter if we're constantly coming together to help one another follow Jesus more faithfully. Our missional fire will burn brighter if we're constantly coming together to help one another follow Jesus more faithfully. And I think more often than not, this, this looks like hospitality. Good old-fashioned hospitality. And by this, I don't just mean have people over for dinner. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. We're talking about inviting graciously intrusive relationships into your life. When we grow in our desire to mobilize one another for faithfulness, this will often result in more of us spending more time in each other's homes and lives. Not necessarily homes, but lives and life rhythms. Have people over for dinner. Go to the park together. Enjoy a dinner out together. Hey, maybe you don't have money or space right now in your life for this. Maybe you're a college student. Man, warm up some ramen noodles. Shoot, it can be leftover ramen from last night. My kids will love it. It'll save us money, and we can enjoy some integral, intrusive, gracious relationships in each other's lives. This looks like dropping in on people on the way home from work, maybe, or hanging out with people and praying after a bad day, or even just celebrating a, a good gospel conversation that someone had with a neighbor or a coworker. Let's not overly romanticize this. Mutual mobilizing is pretty unspectacular. It's grittier than you think it's going to be. Don't go romantic on me now. Oh, living in community sounds so sweet. No, it's way grimier than that. It's selfless hospitality. It's what God has called us to for the good of one another because 
he has been hospitable to us, we ought to be hospitable to one another. And if this isn't clear yet, mobilizing one another is, is going to take you using actual words. Discipling with one another simply does not happen without teaching. Teaching one another to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Teaching each other, and I need you to teach me. I may be a shepherd, but I continue to be a sheep. I need you. We must, we must teach one another what it means to faithfully follow Jesus, and that means using our words. For instance, look at this from, from Hebrews chapter 10. The author says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stirring up others in this room or encouraging them is going to require you to use your words, to remind them and teach them about what Jesus has commanded or what he's promised and holds out to be better than what this world offers. While you're here at Trinity, as, as a member, you need to hear this, you're, you're irreplaceable. Your life experiences and interactions with the Lord over your lifetime cannot be replicated and cannot be replaced. You're needed. So we each need your perspective and instruction on how to live out the truth of this book. And don't forget the same is true about others that are in this room or in our membership as well. So you're, you're going to need to be humbly approachable to live out this mobilizing life. Okay, what is, what is the purpose of all this? What is the aim of mobilizing? What's the point? To what end? Jesus didn't command us merely to teach people, but he commanded us to teach people to obey. So life transformation is the goal of Trinity's mobilization. Your life transforming is the goal of our mobilizing. When you enter into a covenant with this church through membership it should be the closest you get to heaven on this side of heaven jonathan can you flip ahead to the next slide for us together we want to be we want to be bent on making trinity more like heaven by helping trinity's members become more like jesus that is the goal for each of us helping each other take the next small step towards jesus Last week, someone told me on the phone, hey, give them heaven on Sunday. But th that's what we should all be doing, shouldn't we? Giving heaven to one another by being as much like Jesus as possible. In other words, our mutual discipleship isn't just about relationships. We think that relationships are critical and they're the, the crucial platform for our fruit fruitful discipleship. But relationship is not the aim of discipleship, not just relationship. The reason we like this word mobilize is because it isn't sort of static. It's got some forward momentum to it. It doesn't really leave room for these fuzzy Christian relationships that never really get down to the dirty business of discipleship because really all they were about in the first place was relationship. We don't want relationship for relationship's sake. Relationship should have a forward mobilizing momentum toward discipleship, toward being more like Jesus. So mobilize forces us into these intentional, uh, into intentional forward spiritual momentum, constantly putting tools into each other's hands to more faithfully follow Jesus. 
So the aim of our mobilization of one another is life transformation so that Trinity tastes just a little bit more like heaven every time we get together. Let your kingdom come, Lord. That's our prayer. So let's be a church that's constantly scheming to do intentional, scriptural, spiritual good to one another over coffee, over breakfast, on the way to the movie, in the backyard. Let's be the church that breaks this low bar commitment to Jesus. Let's be a church that really does engage in true, authentic, biblically rich community. The, the church that realizes that following Jesus isn't for loners and individualists, but humble, needy followers of Jesus who gladly acknowledge their need for and dependence on one another. So as we close here, I just want to make a couple of maybe more concrete observations and applications as well. So how does a conversation actually begin that's doing spiritual good to one another so that that person will become more like Christ? Well, Martin Luther, you've probably heard this before, Martin Luther said that the essence of mission is essentially this. I'm a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. That's our starting place, Trinity. I'm needy, you're needy, and we need to point each other to where the sustenance is. Point to the bread. Everybody point to the bread that is Jesus, the bread of life. And so maybe to relieve pressure to get started in a, in a relationship like this, it starts uh, maybe with an awkward, but a quick, hey, look, I'm a mess, okay? I don't really know what I'm doing, but I want to walk with Jesus, and I'll do that with you. That's how it might start. You tap someone on the shoulder, and you say those things, and you see where the Lord might lead. Look, your kids are probably out of control. Your relationship with your spouse might be kind of rocky that day that you say these things. You probably feel like you need discipling more than anyone else, and you, you probably do, but so does that other person. So you could say things like, hey, how's your soul today? Maybe, maybe that's better than, hey, what's up? How's your soul? What's God up to? What did you think about the sermon on Sunday? So that's a way to start some uh, practical ways to start a uh, a discipleship-oriented relationship. Second, come together with the mindset of giving rather than getting. Come together with the mindset of giving rather than getting. When you're here on Sundays or a community group during the week or just hanging out with a family uh, one evening. Third, don't think that there needs to be this rigid discipler-disciplee relationship. It's not like top-down here. Sometimes there might be a clear leader and other times it's just super mutual. It's like we're, t we're together in this, equal. Fourth, start small. Don't think too far ahead of yourself here. Pray and ask God to bring one person to mind. Think about a person that you can begin a discipleship relationship with. Maybe it's very mutual, or maybe it's someone that you look up to and want help from, or maybe that's someone that you think uh, could use help from you. Guaranteed, you get in a relationship with someone like that, they're going to be able to help you as well. So grab someone in the next week. Grab someone in the next week. Literally grab them and schedule a time to get together. Read a book of the Bible together. Read a book together. Start small, but start. As we close, I want to do what we did about a year ago and step into a time warp. Let's just imagine for a moment that we have spent a full decade bleeding, sweating, crying, praying. A full decade of unwavering pursuit of our mission, making and mobilizing faithful disciples of Jesus. Imagine that we've been addicted
to Abington witnessing the unignorable renewing power of Jesus. Imagine this. What heavenly havoc might we wreak over the course of a decade? It's 2030. Every part of Roslyn is filled with the presence of Jesus through everyday people like you and me. Because every member is making the gospel visible in word and deed. Every part of Roslyn has heard the whisper of Jesus from one of us. It's 2030. Our community group structure has been retired. Not because it was a bad idea, but because we don't need it anymore. There's not a single member that is disengaged or uncared for. This has nothing to do with the pastors, though. It has everything to do with the members embracing their God-given role to make the gospel visible to their Christian friends and to mobilize them for faithful discipleship to Jesus. Conversations between members center on Jesus even more than Carson Wentz's record six straight Super Bowl MVP. It's 2030, remember. (laughs) Members are in each other's homes, in each other's business, in each other's hearts, all on their own without the crutch of a program. It's 2030. Trinity members have started workplace Bible studies in 25 local businesses here in Abington. Unbelieving people from these studies are darkening our doors every Sunday here, hearing the hope-drenched, gospel-rich, renewing news of Jesus. Some of them are even believing. It's 2030. Some Trinity members have left behind the American dream to go to the deepest, darkest parts of our world to plant gospel seeds that will grow into flourishing churches. They're sowing seeds that can only be harvested in eternity. It's 2030. Trinity is giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars to mission each year because of the generosity of her members. Trinity's pastors are having to work overtime to figure out what missionaries and missions to support because the gospel-fueled generosity of Trinity's wallets is so overwhelming. It's 2030. Trinity has successfully unearthed the hidden brokenness of Abington. She's working hard to see past Abington's apparent wealth and security. Her members have relentlessly searched for the poor, the suffering, and the marginalized in our communities. They've befriended them. We've befriended them. We're eating with them. We're sharing the news of the kingdom with them. We're meeting the real needs of real people. There are multiple families in 2030 who have chosen to adopt and foster children, to feed and protect them, and to share with them and show them the renewing love of Jesus. It's 2030. Our church is no longer as whitewashed. It's learning to bridge the cultural and racial divides with multi-directional gospel love and dignity. We now enjoy a multi-ethnic, multi-colored, multi-socioeconomic church family. It's literally red and yellow, black and white, and it is precious in Jesus' sight. It's 2030. Trinity has fully embraced that there will be no gospel progress without God's prayed-for presence. Trinity's Sunday morning prayer gathering at 9.30 and 2.01 reflects this. There's barely enough room to contain the crowd for our prayer warriors because every member has embraced their God-given roles as agents of gospel change in the world. And each of us realizes that for us to succeed in this, we must have the presence of God in us and with us. We could go on dreaming, but we won't. Look, it is going to take more than 10 years to get this right. It's going to take a lifetime. 2030 is going to come and go, and we're still going to fall short. And that's okay because Jesus meets us in our weakness, but it will be worth it. 
grinding for the next decade. Everything else is going to burn up, but I, just, I think that if we could just get our heads into eternity and think about that, if we could just get our heads into how big and glorious God is and what he's accomplished, we'd see the grand value of pursuing this vision. You see, we'll never be able to arrest this vision if we don't first get a vision of our great God and all that he has done for us and what he's doing in us. Only then will we be able to put feet to the ground on this vision that we have rehearsed for these last few minutes. And here it is again, in case you missed it. God's gospel, this is what, this is what we're after. God's gospel made known from the heights to the depths, from the east to the west, from the north to the south, from the city to the burbs, from the old to the young, from our spouses to our kids. This is what we're after. This is what we're fighting for. It's gonna take 30 years and we're still going to come up short. But that's why grace is so awesome. God meets us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so, so woefully far away from having even a shot at making this happen. But I pray that you'll help us, that you'll grow us, you'll change us, that we'll see the gospel, that we'll be fueled by it and motivated by it to, to mobilize one another that we'll be like the coals in that fire pit that come together to get hotter and brighter for your mission and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.